Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. There's uh, been four days between hockey games, which for this time of year now feels like a millennium based off of 21 games and 42 days before that. So don't really. I've been able to watch movies and actually do the dishes before midnight each night. It's been crazy. Wow, you're living the life. <laughs> um, well, I mean, listen, I haven't done a show in four months here so uh we were talking off air before we started but uh i want to thank all the listeners that are listening right now for the patience uh you know there was some crazy times there and and uh with the season being stopped the pdo cast had to um figure some stuff out but hopefully we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming here and you and i um are about to chat yeah i was telling you um I've basically been a stay-at-home dad with my new puppy here, this mini golden doodle uh, <laughs> named Joey, who I shared some pictures of on on Twitter and social media. And so it'll be interesting to see if I still have enough social skills to keep up a conversation with another human being for an hour, because I've basically just been saying "good boy, Joey" for the past uh, month straight. That's basically the extent of my uh, of my dialogue. <laughs> That's I've got. Uh... I think the two. I think I've got the two-year-old human though, who I think has a little mm. bit better vocabulary than a dog. So she's actually been uh, giving uh, some more conversation back. This morning was all about her playing on her toy phone, saying hello and goodbye, and then hanging up her toy phone over and over again. So I mean, for me, uh, for me at this point, that would be intellectually stimulating. So, um, <laughs> but listen, it's fitting that uh, this is the show that brings me out of this hiatus because. One of my favorite shows this season was when you and I were, uh, when you came to Vancouver and we were hanging out in a hotel room <laughs> drinking beers. And one of my favorite subplots this season has been trying to figure out what the hell the Dallas Stars are up to, how good they actually are, what where, what trajectory their season is on. Yeah. Now that their trajectory is heading to the Stanley Cup final, I mean, it's about as upward as it can get. So uh, this is a, a fitting time for us to to kind of check back in and chat about them because I feel like last time we talked, they were in this like weird... Uh, they had a lot of highs and lows, but they were like in the middle of like yeah. kind of oscillating between those two. So uh, it, it's good to be back talking about them again. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm trying to think back to where they were in that whole spot because this is such this has been such a roller coaster of a season for the Stars where it's you got to rem- try to remember what's were the highs, what's were the lows and where you were for different spots. It, it's funny looking back on that because it's uh, I'm trying to remember even where they were in that Vancouver when we met in Vancouver. I think it was the middle of maybe the Justin Dowling toe drag tour of Western Canada. I think that was then, um, but I might be getting it confused with something else. But I, I think that's when that was. But it's it's kind of crazy to look back on all that stuff because I think that was God November. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think we were vindicated though because of like a, a not a team Dallas star centric podcast, just like a national show that covers the full league. I don't think anyone has ever spent that much time talking about Dennis Gurianov, the man, the myth, the yes. legend. And boy, has he rewarded us in a big way this postseason. I mean, he's got a four goal game. He literally sent the Dallas stars to the Stanley cup final with the overtime winner. I mean, the guy's doing it all. Oh my gosh. And then now he's, Thanks to the player tracking, we see the we see the game winning goal. I mean, 110 mile an hour, 110 mile an hour shot. Um, now I, I'm fascinated to see how that holds up compared to other one timers in the league. Now that we actually get this player tracking, because um, obviously you're getting more speed on a one timer and a moving puck than the sitting still all star game setup. Obviously, so I'm curious to see. But I mean, if we're talking guys who are gonna crank it at 110 are we talking about what is it is it a group that select group that includes ovechkin line and, and denny is there any like i'm trying i'm curious how select that group is how many guys are hitting hitting that shot because that that's that's crazy and he is i, I asked him about it today actually right before we came on which is perfect timing and it's he had no idea it was that fast i made sure to tell him it was in kilometer tell him the speed in kilometers because that's I think Denny knows that knows that better, yeah. and uh, the uh, and he was he said all of his friends back in Russia made made sure he knew how fast the shot was. So I I don't know. You think it's what it's probably Line Ovechkin? I'm, I really want to see them start tracking that consistently to be like, okay, this is is should we be should that be an eye popping number or is or should it not be? I don't know. Right, especially with like the player speed when they're showing. Like it was funny when they showed yeah. Jamie Alexiak barely making it down the end of the ice to score that breakaway goal against the Knights. But for the most part, when you see a guy skating fast, it's like oh, like thirty-five miles. Like how fast is that relatively speaking? I'd add yeah. Pasternak to that list. Uh, I'm sure there's a few yep. others we're not thinking of, but oh yeah, yeah. It's my favorite part of that was um, he sends that puck around the boards on the power play, and then like with the most swag possible, like is, is out of that Alex Ovechkin playbook. He's just st- lifting his stick up, basically calling for yeah. him to pass it up to Klingberg so that he can get it back. And you just knew that was happening. And I put together a compilation of his playoff goals after that. And it's like, I think he had three of like, like identical goals from that right circle, basically off one yeah. knee and kind of not even like going for the corner, just basically shooting it through the goalie on the side. And, um, yeah, listen, people are going to be like, oh, did the Knights not watch any tape? Like, how are they letting that happen? It's like, oh, Ovechkin scored like yeah. 700 goals now doing that. It's it's when you're really good from one spot and there's other threats on the ice and it's free-flowing like that during the course of action. It's really tough. Like, there's no way Pete DeBoer was telling his players, okay, we need to we need to lock in on Dennis Gurianov from that circle. Don't let... We can we can let Joe Pavelski beat us out front in, in front of the net, but yeah. if Gurianov beats us on that one-timer, that's unacceptable. 
Well, yeah, I mean, Ovechkin made an entire... I love the... Ovechkin looks like he's waiting for a bus on the power play, and, yep. and it's not like anyone doesn't know what he's doing there. I mean, And on top of that, the other thing, too, just to give the Stars credit, and I wrote about this the other day, I mean, one of the things the Stars did, and Vegas was scouting, that's the other thing, but Vegas hadn't scouted a power play. Like, the Stars switched their power play units in that last game. Denny had gone seven, eight games without a goal, and they switched Ting, uh, Klingberg and Haskin, and, and in doing so, that opened up Denny for that little bit more space because Klingberg being a righty, getting that pass over to a left, lefty shot, it allows Klingberg to do more of the shot fake, and that's what happens on that game-winning goal, where for then you don't really have that option, right? Because yeah. Heishkin, that, sh- that shot fake, he's got to basically go across his body then, and it's so much easier to read for both the goalie. And so that little stuff, and I mean, if you give a little bit of extra space to a guy with that cannon, it's incredible to watch. So, yeah, it's... He he's a guy who you and I have talked about. I don't have to sell you on the merits of Denny Guriana, but he is a guy who the Stars have had some really good overall players in their history, and they've had some guys who are like even Sagan and Ben at their peak. They they were more playmakers than 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 pure like goal scorers. I mean, they, Denny Guriana has potential to be this guy to be this fun goal scorer that the Stars have never really had for a long term. Because obviously they had Brett Hull, but Brett Hull was a two three year existence in Dallas that Denny could be here for a while and he's he's so fun to watch man he is he's a game breaker well, and I know like one of my big sticking points this season has been his ice time and I know you've pointed out yep. uh, countless times that um they kind of are encouraging him to take more shorter shifts and that explains like the actual qu- quantity of volume of shifts he's taking is yeah pretty comparable yeah. to the other top guys on the team it's just that he's taking shorter yeah. shifts and that leads in shorter ice time but I think what I love about him, and I don't know like how sustainable a formula it is, and I'm sure as he gets older, he'll develop more nuance to his game, but it's that sort of one-gear mentality where when he has the puck, he's just gripping it and ripping it. When he's out there, yeah. he's flying down the wing full speed. And it is it is a bit jarring, I imagine, for the opponent because you know I think the Stars, certainly in the Vegas series as a whole, they were doing a good job of uh, kind of opportunistically counterattacking off the rush whenever the opportunity presented itself. But in a typical Stars game, it's a lot of like nothing happening and then they're cycling in the offensive zone for a little bit and then Gurianov steps on the ice and it's just this freight train going north-south for 30 seconds and then he's off the ice and then you get back to regular schedule yeah. programming. And so it's it's really tough in the flow of the game where if you're the other team, you kind of get lulled into this little uh, false sense of security and then all of a sudden you have this guy flying yeah. down the wing at full speed. So it's 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 really fun to watch. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like a changeup, but instead of instead the, the stars yeah. are throwing, or yeah, instead the stars are throwing all changeups and then occasionally throwing a fastball. And it, it, it it is fun to watch, and I love one of my favorite things about Denny. It's like that goal that he scored in overtime is great, but I love the chance um, he had in the second period of that game where it's the little flip pass by Klingberg, and I think it was Theodore who just whiffs on trying to deflect it, and anyone else on the stars. It's it's not really that big of a miss for Theodore. It just kind of goes to the corner. But Denny's so fast that he gets behind him and forces Leonard into basically was off the shaft of his stick and off the crossbar. Just that little like sprint speed. It, it's amazing to see him hit that in like those micro bursts. Yep. And and we're seeing him more now. One of the things that I've loved about seeing him more in the playoffs is like it, it's we're seeing more of it like in the zone. Like I think he's kind of realized that you know what it doesn't have to be blue line in defensive blue line in to to use that speed i think he's noticing more he can go from standing still along the half wall or something like that and go win a battle just by being faster and 
he's learning more and more how much faster he is than everyone else and that's just that that makes him even more fun to watch yeah and he's one of the many story and many storylines that are fascinating with this team and for me that's why like one of the laziest narratives to come out of uh from the moment the stars won up until now when we're talking you see a lot of people who clearly just haven't been paying attention to this dallas stars team going like oh well this is one of the least deserving stanley cup finalists i can remember like there's they're not interesting they don't deserve to be here and we're going to get into the merits of their actual performance and how they got to this point but just from a a storytelling perspective which you do such a great job of covering this team like if you don't find this team interesting that's more on you than on the team because if you've been following them all season even before the successful run it certainly has been anything but like boring right like like there's so many stories to get into I, I laugh at the because and, and obviously part of it's the and you see it on both on both the broadcasts because I watch both NBC I kind of flip back and forth between the NBC and the Sportsnet feed during all of this and so obviously Nathan McKinnon is one of the best players in the world obviously deserving of the airtime but in the Vegas series we're hearing so much about how Ryan Reeves is going to change this game change this game change this game and okay you can you can I don't know maybe you're friends with Ryan Reeves I don't know but you have. But if you can't get excited about the storytelling for the stars, like I think probably one of the lines I may have used when you and I talked back in November um, or whenever that was, was they're the most exciting team until they step onto the ice. <laughs> and they, I mean, you look at this team changed coaches. They started one, seven and one. They ended the regular season. Oh, four and two. They've got, if you're talking about a sentimental favorite for a team, I mean, the combination of Joe Pavelski and Rick Bonus, aside from whatever team plays them in the final, I mean they're they're going to be they're the sentimental favorite across the hockey world. You have this 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 whole ongoing narrative of a franchise that ripped apart its two highest paid players, and now all of a sudden one of them is 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 looking like the uh, retro version of Jamie Benn in this hmm. playoff run. I mean this team, and, and I haven't even mentioned Miro Heiskanen yet, and obviously Miro is, yep. is incredible. Like, it's, this team is, is, is so full of storylines. It just, they've been, if you can't find a storyline for this team when you're doing a broadcast for this team or talking about this team or whatever, you, you, you must not have ever even Googled them because yep. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how that, how, how it gets, keeps getting lost of like, oh, well, they're a boring team, they're a boring team. Like, they've played some, but, even a two one game with chances like Dallas has had, it's still exciting to me. Like I know people get the stars have had, there have been boring stars moments. They're hard, but this playoff hasn't been them. Like there was boring moments back in December and January with the stars where you'd be like, okay, this game really has put me to sleep. Even though there have been low scoring games now, Mm -hmm. they haven't been boring. They're close. They're exciting. They're, they're tense. So no, I mean, and listen, like in, in the Flames and the Av series, you basically got all the goals you could handle from them and their opponents. And then in this Vegas series, it was low scoring, but I, it was the type of low scoring game I want to see where they were sort of, uh, intentionally kind of not sitting back, but they were allowing the other team to create a lot. And yep. then whenever they got a chance, they were doing something off the rush. And that's the sort of back and forth yep. that you want to see over the flow of a game. I think part of it probably is just because heading into the playoffs and then after round one, we just all just sort of penciled in and talked ourselves into Avs nights as the Western Conference final and understandably yeah. so like those two teams did seem like the sort of class of the Western Conference and then so after the Avs lose it's like okay well they had all these injuries and you start making some excuses and then well, Vegas has all these shots on goal. Look at the disparity on, uh, in that regard. The Dallas doesn't deserve to be here. But I was just in preparation for this podcast. I was kind of going through the the high wire act this postseason they've had, or, or sort of the yeah. the crossroads <laughs> moments. And I've got 
Sagan doing the splits in game four yes. against the Flames when they were mm-hmm. literally 12 seconds yep. away from going down 3-1. Uh, game six versus the Flames, they're down 3 nothing before they even register a shot attempt. And then Gurianov scores four goals. They score seven unanswered. We get a bunch of Matthew yep. Kachuk memes. Um, they go down in game seven against the Asses under four minutes left. And then 10 seconds later, Joel Kiviranta scores and then scores a hat-trick in overtime to win it. And then, listen, like, we can talk about uh, how much of this is luck-based, and we're going to get into this whole stars versus analytics cool. argument later, but the fact of the matter is they're 4-0 in overtime this postseason. They're 9-0 in one-goal games since dropping, I think, game one to the Flames. And so part of that is luck, but part of that from an entertainment value perspective is they're playing a lot of close games where one shot determines what's going to happen, and that's oh, sort yeah. of the beauty of the postseason. That, that's sort of that drama, and that sort of you have to sit on the edge of your couch because the next shot is going to win it is why we watch the NHL playoffs, not to necessarily determine who is far and away the best team in the league because otherwise you probably just like the EPL do like the full season and just award the winner as opposed yeah. to going on a four to seven game basis. Yeah. I mean, the stars team is, is drama embodied. Like I don't under, like this is, this is a team that everyone should be. If you're, they should be trying to sell. I mean, this is a, this is a team where <laughs> this, this team throughout their playoff run, as you kind of said, they're nine and oh in one goal games, four and oh in overtime. They are a team where you get into the third period and you know it is going to be tight. It is going to be one where it's either going to be them pushing back or them trying to defend a lead. Either way, it's going to be a game where something of consequence is likely going to happen in the third period at least. And that that to me is that's what makes playoff hockey great. I mean, we look at the uh, five on like there's the five on three kill against Vegas where just something something like that where okay, there's yes, Vegas did not get nearly enough traffic in front of the net. That is on Vegas, but that is a. But this is a team that plays in moments like that, and give the Stars credit in moments like that for, for for stepping up and making something like that exciting. It's this is an exciting hockey team to watch right now. It's an exciting team with all the storylines going around it. And yes, they're not doing it by scoring six goals a game in this past series, but they have also shown that. I think, I think the other thing they've really shown about all of this is your narratives don't have to be preset. Like if anyone, like that's the other thing where we get so as a media get so connected to, well, this narrative or that narrative is going to sell this and stuff like that. I mean, Yoel Kiviranta, yep. <laughs> he's an amazing, amazing story. And he's a guy who we look at, look how well he's played even since having the hat trick. Like he's a guy who has, he's never going back to the AHL. He's a guy who's going to be part of this team going forward. And, even if he didn't have those games after, this is what the whole Stanley Cup playoffs is about. He could have played that one game ever, and Stars fans and people ever would remember the, the Yoel Kiviranta <laughs> game, and that was that, that would have been great in its own. And now he's just building on it. He is. I mean, the hands in tight on that goal to uh, to send it oh to overtime God. against yes. the Knights was uh, that was like, like star caliber quality. Like it was. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, listen, and this is like a national this is a national broadcaster's dream. Like you're 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 just talking about that sort of you're going to the third period. You know it'll be tight. Like just. Oh, yeah. If you're telling fans, you need to sit down and watch this game for three hours because something will happen at the end. You're not going to tune in. It'll be 5-1 in the first period and it'll be over. Like You need to watch this all the way through. And in the second intermission, we're going to have 15, 20 minutes to hype up this third period, which is going to be drama-filled. Like it's, I mean, NBC and Sportsnet should be... Uh, should be loving what's happening here but obviously i mean there's no nathan mckinnon or austin matthews or whoever else so it, it, I, i'm mm-hmm. sure they seem view it as kind of a negative but all right let's get into some of those personalities then and oh, yeah. i think 
uh, you know, Anton Hudobin is the natural starting point for us because mm-hmm. when we say as journalists that we're not cheering for teams, we're cheering for the people and the players. Like, I think he's the prime example now that you point to is like, it's just awesome seeing this guy succeed because oh, yeah. beyond just the, the quirky personality and, and the pictures you see of him. And, and he's had so many countless uh, memorable moments this postseason of like dozing off on the bench of his mask falling off against the flames and him just being in disbelief, like so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's this idea that he's this 34 year old goalie who spent a better part of like five or six years in the minors. He was playing AHL games as recently as like 2016, 17, I believe for the, for the Bruins organization. And whenever he's gotten a chance in the NHL, which is over 200 regular season games, he's been good. He's got a nine nineteen save percentage plus 32 goal save above expected. He's never gotten that full sort of runaway to be the starter. I think there was that one season in Carolina where like he got a chance out of the gate and then struggled yeah. and all of a sudden it was over for him. Um, and so he's making his first playoff start in his career in this bubble and the numbers are just remarkable, but it's, it's like stylistically, it's everything that sort of he embodies that makes it fun. And when I knew that I was going to talk to you about this, I was wondering, like, do you have any, uh, funny stories of, uh, Hudobin run-ins, uh, over the, yeah. the years of covering him that, that kind of stick out to you? Yeah. I mean, Anton's great. Um, one of the things that immediately just, there's, he's, there's a reason that I have a whole thread on Twitter of pictures going back to, of just, hilarious things and well and up until this bubble there were pictures i actually just took on my own phone following him on the beat and now obviously it's the occasional getting something from a broadcast or whatever but anton is hilarious and one thing i remember so the first the first training camp he's with dallas so the 20 before the 20 uh 18 19 season um the stars have their training camp in boise idaho Mm -hmm. and they've got a, a replica of the liberty bell in front of the state capitol in Boise, Idaho. Um, like, anyone can come up and ring it or whatever. Like, it's okay. And Anton and Radulov are kind of walking around at, like, 7.30 at night, 8 p.m. at night after after dinners, after dinner, after they've had dinner or something like that. And all of a sudden, you just hear, because I was actually in the, that part of town around the time this is happening, all of a sudden, you hear just the bell just going off, like, loud. And it's just Radulov and Hudobin just pushing the bell back and forth at, like, 8 p.m. in the middle of Boise, Idaho, um, <laughs> which is a supreme example of those two's friendship because they're loud and you can never ignore them and like that's what they are in practice all the time they're always yelling at each other in russian every single practice when radulov scores against hudobin he celebrates even harder hudobin gives it back even louder whenever he makes a save uh the best part is whenever they get goalie coach Jeffries involved to actually be a judge on this because Anton will like make a glove save and Rads will try to yell at him that the glove was over the line and they'll like force Jeffries to come over as like the moderator and actually give a real ruling so one of them can be right. Like it's it's a, it's a beautiful friendship to watch on the ice. It's yep. it's hilarious. It's one of the things that it's one of the things I really miss about not being able to watch morning skates and practices during this whole bubble because there's moments like that that I know we're missing out on. Um the other the other thing that I love about Anton's personality is the fact that none of this is weird to him. Like we we talk to like like we 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 things might seem odd to us about him. We bring it up and he'll look at you like why is that odd or like that he doesn't like he there was so he lives in Siberia in the off season and I'm not kidding he lives in Siberia and he. Um, there was a time earlier this season or late last season, I don't know when it was, but essentially one of the former 
equipment managers or uh, or staffers who worked with him when he played for the Houston Arrows came up to Dallas and was talking to him before the game and asking Anton about like where he like how he's doing and Anton's like oh yeah I live back in Siberia and the guy laughed and Anton like looked him dead in the eyes like is that is that funny like is it funny that I live in Siberia like and and <laughs> I mean, in a way, yes, yeah. but like, I guess, I guess not. <laughs> and then it's like, there's so many little quirky things about that that we notice just, and it's like, and I think that's why he's been so great in this playoff run is everyone, we get all these questions. He gets all of these, it doesn't surprise me at all. And it doesn't surprise me at all who sees him on a daily basis, but we get all of the media questions now where it'll be like, well, Anton, you've, uh, you've never done this before that. And, and, and now you're doing this. I mean, you must be, you must be surprised. And Anton's like, no, <laughs> like it's, and it's very, and it's, 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 it, he doesn't care about the outside narratives. He's always treated every single thing. Like it's, he treats every practice like it's game seven of the Stanley Cup final. He goes, I think they've actually had to tell him to calm down a little bit in practice since he's carrying a starter's load right now. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the other thing about Anton, just like we talk about his career, and, and I just, I, I wonder this aloud. If he's 6-1, right. he's probably an NHL goalie st- start and doesn't have to bounce around like that. Like, just to be completely frank, like he's a guy who really the only reason that he has to have this re- revelation at 34 is because he's 5-11. Like, that, that to me, I think, is really what it comes down to, where if he's a little bit taller he at least gets that stamp of approval as starter material where a, a GM can say that in the off season without ever, without having to deal with the questions of, well, he's a shorter goalie. So well, I guess part of it is, especially using it this postseason, is, um, is stylistically too, I think. And, and that's why I think it's like, a, yeah. it's such a mutually beneficial relationship of Hudobin's style and the stars defense and the way they play. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, it's funny, Jonathan Quick is that sort of six one yeah. goalie, and he's a different athlete, obviously, yeah. in Hudobin. But at his peak, when the when the Kings were competing for cups and winning cups, the reason why he was so good is because he was allowed to be this uber athletic, uh, aggressive goalie that was coming out on shooters and sort of just like fighting the puck because he knew that they weren't gonna his defense wasn't gonna let him down with backdoor passes and east west yep. stuff where yeah. the passing lanes weren't blocked. And with his stars team, you see it like I, I can't even really remember any times during this run where he's been hung out to dry where he went out at a shooter and all of a sudden the puck was being passed to someone behind him for a tap in. And you just look at the shot charts. Yeah, there's only one, and the reason, and it's amazing that I can remember, and that's why it's, right. it's just it's, it's just game two yeah. against that second period against Vegas. Mm-hmm. He got left out to dry the second period against Vegas, and that's it. Like that is the, but it's one of those where it's that lives so vividly because how rare it was. Like yep. Vegas goes tic tac toe on that three on one, and you're like, wow, that's that I, I haven't seen a three on one against him in a long time. So, well, and and that's what. Um that's what makes it sort of spinning it forward, not to not to think too far ahead. We're recording this on the Thursday afternoon yeah. before Tampa Bay and the Islanders play their game six. But if they are to play the the Lightning, like what the Lightning do better offensively than anyone else is those East West passes. I can remember a couple times off the top of my head where, especially against the Isles, who are sort of the Eastern Conference version defensively of the Stars, where Kucherov has made them pay with those passes for a tap in behind Varlamov, who was too aggressive coming out to greet them as a shooter. Um, and then, you know, as a UFA, like I, I'm all for Hudobin going out, testing the market, getting paid, especially considering he's been a backup for so long. And if someone's going to offer him a bigger opportunity to, to play more games moving forward. But it's like, if I were him, I'd be thinking, man, like this is this is sort of the perfect spot for him where moving forward, you play 30 to 35, maybe 40 games. Ben Bishop is 
pretty injury prone. So there might be that opportunity to play big games moving forward. He's comfortable there. And the system is just so perfect for him. Like it is really one of those match matches made in heaven. hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's something where that, that's two things that people really need to remember about this run in Anton Hudobin. One thing is he loves and thrive. Anton is someone who I like to use the word. He's a rhythmic goalie. He's someone who, who thrives on getting more work. Um, and like he is, I got to pull up the exacts. I'd have to pull up the exacts. I think this playoff round, he's eight and O or nine and O when making 30 or more saves, um, in a game. And he is someone who, when he's getting more work, he's happy. And the stars, and this kind of brings back, I'm sure we'll touch on this in a little bit when we talk about the stars and analytics and mm-hmm. everything like that. The stars are fine giving him that extra work from the outside, and, and, and it fits perfectly into his, his confidence factor. I mean, um, he, is, he is a guy who this system plays so well. If you're a goalie, you would love to play behind this system because you've got to be able to make those, you, you can be aggressive on those shots, you can take away the angles, and there is the even and there's so few breakdowns there's so few times that you actually have to sprawl out and and do this and and it makes you look like a hero i mean people like people anton hudobin had a great year but he doesn't lead the league with a 930 save percentage behind a different defensive system i think that needs to be clear too like yeah and and splitting the starts and everything like it's oh yeah i mean just the stars were second in save percentage i think as a team last year they were second again this year like it's not this isn't like it's coming out of nowhere i think what is coming out of nowhere is the fact that hudobin's played 18 games in 37 days or something like that which is like basically like half of what he plays over the course of a full regular season for his career and so the fact that he's kind of held up but he had a bit of a scare there in one of the games against vegas where he was doing all sorts of you know like acrobatics and it looked like he might have hurt his leg but beyond that like he's held up remarkably well and and now he's got a bit of this break while they figure out who they're going to play in the cup final so i mean just the fact that like He's led, he led the postseason in shots and high danger shots and saves yeah. uh, in appearances, like all that. Like, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a great story and it's awesome. But I, I do think that nuance and that context is very important because beyond just the name and the fact that he hasn't done it before, like the actual situation itself explains a lot of what's going on. Yeah, it does. And like, I just, while we were talking here, I just pulled up his regular season log. And it's ironic enough, like Anton's best regular season game was actually... I think of Tampa, 45 save effort against Tampa that Dallas straight up stole in overtime. And that was a game where Anton was great in that game. And I'd have to pull up the full box score, but I think the shots were something like 45 to 22 or something like that. But it was a game where the high danger chances were just as similar. While Tampa, the entire game was spent hemmed into Dallas' zone and Hudobin was busy and everything like that. I think Dallas had just as many high danger chances and just as far as just going back against the rush. And and one of the things that I, the Dallas Vegas series really spoke to me on is, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go all Tyler Sagan saying analytics are overrated when he was asked about goal differential, which is okay. Uh, But I, 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 I think one of the things that we're seeing more and more of is, Vegas, to me, I think the Stars exposed Vegas. Everyone talks about Vegas being this great defensive team. To me, the Stars exposed Vegas as not being a great defensive team. You can't allow six to seven uh, high de- odd man rushes a game and be considered a good defensive team to me. Yes, they outshot their opponent. They only allowed 20-something shots a game or whatever. But if you're letting up that many rush chances, how can you be considered a good defensive team? And I think the Stars run, to me, one of the overarching things 
that in, in Hudobin and having a Hudobin or Bishop, I think both of them would be having similar success. I think that's the other thing that we need to remember is because, and this is more to the Stars fans out there because I get a lot of Stars fans who are like, oh, well, Ben Bishop is Ben Bishop is washed up. He could never do this. No, Ben Bishop was healthy and playing fine. The stars would be in the same spot. I don't think the goaltender, the it's it's not it's not the goaltender. It's the system and then the goaltender surpassing expectations that make it such a great story. But really. The Stars run, to me, is the, is the big definition of how do we define what good defense is. Yep. Because there is, is, is good defense limiting shots? Is it limiting quality chances? Is it controlling possession? I mean, I think that's what this whole run comes out to define. And that's why the whole, if Dallas, play, whether they play Tampa or the Islanders in the final, I think it, it'd be fascinating because those two would be two very different finals. Like, yep. it would be, like, I think, like either way, like Dallas Islanders final would be that would be a muck and that would be muck and grind. That would be both teams trying to frustrate the other. Well, Dallas if they play Tampa, which looks like they will. I'm just, I find it hard to believe Tampa will lose two more, and so I'm assuming Tampa will win. But if they play Tampa, they could get outshot 35 to 16 in a game, and still, and I wouldn't be surprised if they won because. They could limit those chances, and Dallas has shown, like they did to Colorado, they can frustrate a team that likes to fly. Well, and I think it's a testament to uh, the versatility of the team, too. The fact that we've seen so many versions of this Dallas Stars team this postseason, where in round one they were clearly the superior team and they just dominated the puck versus Calgary, even when they were losing. Cam Talbot was just facing a ridiculous amount of shots. Then in round two, we're like, oh, well, do they have enough offense to keep up with Colorado? And then they just straight up traded yeah. chances and goals with them and come out on top. And then in round three against Vegas, they totally kind of get back to that Stars team that we'd seen for large stretches of the regular season where they are comfortable playing that 2-1 game, but they're opportunistically going to attack on the rush whenever they, the opportunity presents itself. And so it, depending on their finals opponent, they were kind of well-suited to play Yeah against their opponent and the way they see sort of the easiest route to victory. But I mean, let's, okay, let's talk about the stars and analytics. And and you mentioned the Sagan thing and and you mentioned the golden Knights and, you know, what kind of defensive team they are. And I think for the most part, especially for the regular season, when you have the puck more often than your opponent, you're kind of a good defensive team just because you're limiting the amount of times the other team is going to be able to be in your, in your zone. Right. And so that makes it easier for your goalie. Um, but it's really, really funny to, I mean, not funny, it's sad. It's very upsetting that uh, <laughs> watching the, the dialogue around the stars as if their success this postseason is some sort of an indictment against quote unquote analytics. And oftentimes people saying that do not even understand what analytics are or what they're talking about. 100%. It's kind of just like, I agree with you. 100%. It's I agree like, with you hundred like, percent. You mentioned the Sagan yeah. comment. It's like this, yeah. uh, it's this like gotcha moment, right? Where it's like, people are, yeah. are baiting him into saying what they want them to say. It's an old journalist trick where, you know, when you ask Tyler Sagan that, like, what's he supposed to say? Oh, we're getting super lucky. We're PDOing our way through yeah. this postseason. We're not actually this good. Yeah. No, of course, in the bat, like as a player on that team, he's going to believe that what they're doing is is right. And there is a lot of context to suggest that what they are doing is playing the right way. And we're going to get into that here. Yeah. But then you just like, get that quote, and then all of a sudden it goes on Twitter, and and people that are putting it out know exactly what they're doing when they do that. And it's up, it's just it's it's annoying because I feel like it's sort of setting back. Um, the the dialogue and the discourse and and this is it's not like this is a new formula right it's like postseason no, success no. it's getting a bit lucky 
being opportunistic with your scoring, and then having a good goalie. And that's exactly what the Stars have done. This isn't some sort of a revelation where, like, sure, a lot of people picked Colorado and Vegas to beat them, as did I. I think you did yourself as well. Because on paper, heading in, they look like superior teams. That wasn't to suggest that they were going to be sweeps, that this Dallas team wasn't deserving of of being on this this, uh, stage. It was just that we thought they had more firepower. Clearly, the way Dallas played gave them a lot of trouble and they wound up winning both those series and it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to throw every single number out the window and start from scratch it's just the way the playoffs work and the way that sort of formula for postseason success comes together yeah and the other thing too is like the people who you get a lot of people who say ah well (laughs) you can't measure that with analytics actually you can you can almost everything that people talks about most things people talk about that say you can't measure that with analytics you can't i think the craziest one i heard the other day was someone said uh, you can't measure the grit to block a hundred mile an hour shot well yeah, i mean that's not an analytic yeah. that's, yeah. that's literally that's literally a stat block yes. shots are a stat but um the other thing too is you, people who rip into analytics they find they find the simplest they they, they water it down to the simplest thing and narrow it down to okay this is why Corsi is good or bad mm. and i actually and, I, and 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 you know what i don't think corsi is the best use of things i think like right. for example the stars the stars the stars vegas series is a perfect example of we shouldn't be looking at corsi we should be looking at okay we should be looking at we should be looking at quality chances we should be looking at, sh- at, at uh, rush chances we should look at, at chances from the slot we should be looking at controlled entries we should be looking at all these things and to me, the biggest thing, and I don't know, you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think the people who want to rip into analytics are the ones who don't understand that there's, yes. that there's more nuance at all. And so they therefore say, okay, well, I'm just going to take rip into the most basic level of it, which over, over the course of an 82-game season – the team with the best course, you should be the best team. I think that is over course, and, and, and it's just there's too much random happenstance in the playoffs. So we need to look at the more nuanced things. We need to look at okay in Dallas and Vegas, we need to be able to look at okay who had who was able to get to the home plate area that's been defined more. Yeah. Who was able to get more shots, create more shots on the rush off of getting the goalie to move. All those things that we can balance and that are wonderful tools. But the issue is they're not really readily available and Mm -hmm. they're not and they're not and therefore we get these detractors who say well this simple this this simplest one that we this the the kindergarten math that the kindergarten math is does doesn't really tell me anything when really there's so much more and the stars they use analytics that's the other thing too like if they win the cup if they win the cup i guarantee you someone's going to say oh well i didn't see the coyotes i didn't see the coyotes winning the cup or i didn't see one of these other analytic teams winning the cups the stars use analytics. You know, you know who actually does most of their analytic work for the stars. They have they have the contract, the analytic company out of Montreal, and then their video coach does a ton of their their analytic work too. And some and it's and when to me that speaks volumes to everything. When your guy who is looking at those numbers and getting the analytic reports, and he's also your video coach, he's the one who the stars basically take. He's supposed to look at the numbers and find the video to prove, to prove. Okay, well, why is this happening? Or and they're supposed to be working hand in hand. And the stars, so the stars are an analytic team. That's the other thing. Like there are, and like this whole analytic versus non-analytic team. To me, every team, every team, if they haven't by now, every team within two or three years is will be an analytic team. Every team uses analytics and they use it fine. It's just the people who, people who don't understand it and get lost on it, and then. And then try to strip context away from it. Like there's there's people who, um, 
I know there you get sometimes like for example people get lost in the fact that you need context in this stuff too like Taylor Fadoon is the star's third pairing defenseman his analytics are typically great but that's also he only ever plays in the offensive zone yep. and never plays yep. in the defensive zone and it there it's it's frustrating you got me on a rant there so you go ahead <laughs> well and sort of picking up where you uh, on what you were saying there i think any analyst worth their salt would be asking these questions and digging deeper and that's why it's so ironic because i would say that people who are bigger proponents of analytics are sort of trying to get a better grasp on what is good defense both on a player and a team level sort of changing our opinion our definition of what constitutes it and based on the limited numbers we do have just publicly available what you'd say about the stars team is just it takes a quick glance on natural stature this isn't some sort of rocket science for someone who can't grasp it it's like based on pure shot attempts just raw totals at five on five they were sub 50 percent during the regular season they were 18th in the league but then you go shots on goal they were slightly better but then you go high danger attempts which is clearly what they're valuing and they were seventh at 53 percent, which is a very good elite team and part of that is defensively what they're doing and part of it is offensively what they're trying to do with the puck as well and you look at like michael mccurdy's uh heat maps on on his website hockey viz offensively around the net it's just really red indicating they're shooting a lot from there they're trying to prioritize getting the puck into those high danger spaces defensively it's basically the only places where they're giving up a lot are the two points on the edges not they're basically blocking off the entire middle of the ice it's like a no-fly zone for anyone and so you put all that together and it's none of this is sort of an accident it's not like they're just uh sort of sitting back and certainly there's been moments where Anton Hudobin has stolen periods or games for them or yeah. the opposing team has had flurries where he made seven or eight great saves and the other team probably should have scored that happened to Vegas certainly but that's going to happen with a good goalie who has shown that you know he's a 919 goalie as i said for his regular season career he's a 919 save percentage goalie this postseason this isn't some sort of out of this world 945 uh save per- save percentage performance where you're like okay well there's no way this can continue it's this is like what the stars do and so i think anyone any analyst that's looking at this would acknowledge this and i so while a team like the Avalanche might seem more sort of analytically friendly because they're this like faster skating, offensively oriented team that um, has made a lot of smart moves that people have praised over the past year and a half, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Stars, just because they're the polar opposite, are suddenly the like the inverse, right? Like it's that's yeah. the beauty of this. It's that you can win many different ways. You can create a team many different ways. There are different philosophies in terms of what the best way to win in the nhl is and that's sort of the beauty of it so i really push back on the idea and i know it's going to happen it's already happening if they win it's going to reach an even higher fever pitch unfortunately but i really don't buy this argument that the stars are sort of disproving analytics it's certainly not ideal that they've been outscored this postseason that's not analytical like it's literally the most simple goal metric like so I don't know. There's just a lot of context and nuance to us that's missing. And that's sort of why I actually wanted to get back to doing this podcast, just because some of the yeah. content I've been seeing out there has just been so baffling to me. Well, yeah, and that, that's the other thing, too. Like, I think a lot of people are going to go and like to take this isn't as someone who is a, as, a, as, a, as a big soccer fan. This is the stars aren't the 
hockey, you can't be that. You can't take the soccer analogy of parking the bus and winning a hockey game. Like in soccer, you can do it because you can actually just literally pack everyone in there. And do it. you can't do that in the NHL. You actually have to be good defensively. Like even teams that you have to play to your strength and you have to play to to what the, like what the Stars have done. Like if you were to, to, I would imagine if you were to go to any goalie in the NHL and you were to show them, hey, here's the shot location for the shots you'll t- you'll face playing behind this defense versus the shot location you'll play behind playing this defense. They would pick to play behind Dallas's defense every time. Yep. Like it would be like it's it it is a ideal like to me that's one of the reasons where even if the Stars so one of the things that's going to happen this uh, big off-season story for the Stars is how do they are they involved in the goalie carousel because well Anton Hudobin has played himself into a pretty good raise and everything. We talked about how much he's benefited from that. But any other goalie, if Anton Hudobin is not back in Dallas, any of the other top goalies who are available are going to look at the Dallas situation and say, I'd love to play behind that defense. Not only is it easier, on top of that, it makes me look good mm-hmm. too. Like it's like that's that's well, that should not be forgotten. Especially <laughs> with uh with the questions in terms of teams' budgets and how much money is available. If I were a goalie who uh, didn't have a very lucrative, uh, enticing offer out there, long-term available. Yeah, I would take a one-year deal at a discount to go play behind this team for sure and build up those raw numbers and then head back into free agency being like, oh, look at my look at my 930 save percentage. This is pretty good, right? Exactly. And, exactly. and, and the one thing, you, met, so you mentioned showing yeah. a goalie uh, where the shots are coming from and then, and then picking that. I think the other thing is knowing night in and night out that that is where the shots are going to come from because as you as you talk about those, the, the heat maps like there's a clear pattern there of what the stars are allowing and what they're prioritizing and then once we talked about earlier knowing that you can just square up the shooter like goalies are so good these days i say this time and time again if you're an nhl goalie yeah. and you know the shot's coming and you can see the shot you're most times going to save it there's going to be the occasional time where the, the it's just a beautiful shot that beats you up high but ironically enough like Hudobin's glove has been so remarkable this postseason as well that most of the times it's like very lazy analysis you see on tv where someone's like yeah this goalie's weakness is getting beaten glove glove side up high bar down it's like well, yeah well the perfect shot will beat most goalies uh, and riley <laughs> yes. smith in the, in the most recent game coming down the wing beat hudobin with a perfect shot and he's certainly not yeah. immune to that but most times especially down low if you can see the puck you're going to stop it so it really is uh you know, the, the Hudobin and the Stars defense go hand in hand, and there's a lot of contacts and nuance to it. And hopefully, we uh, we got into that enough. Let's talk about the defensemen and to make that possible. Then, yeah. obviously, it is kind of a team effort, and there's a system obviously in place. But um, the numbers for the defensemen so far are so fascinating to me because uh, you know Heiskanen. Um, we could talk for another forty minutes about him, and and he probably exactly. deserves it because he's been kind of. Uh, you know, he's the last one standing, so he's getting more of the attention and love now nationally. But for a while there, it was McCarr versus Hughes. And so he's kind of the odd man out of that conversation for whatever reason. But his numbers have been so good that he warrants legitimate cons my consideration should the Stars win the cup here, as good as Hudobin has been. But the breakdown for me is so fascinating where when you have Heiskanen on the ice at 5-on-5, they're up 18-11 this postseason. When they have Klingberg on the ice at 5-on-5, they're down 17-19, but it sort of speaks to what you'd think about Klingberg, where it's very high event. There's a lot going on. Basically, it's like the embodiment yeah. of everything is happening. And then when neither of them are on the ice, 
they're down nine three and it's just insane to me like they're that's over 200 minutes worth of action and and there's basically nothing happening obviously it's a it's a net negative for them but it really is interesting sort of seeing that breakdown and the way you'd think uh based on that sort of sliding scale of the types of players that are involved that it actually has played out that way for them this this postseason yeah, it's one of the things the Stars system deserves a ton of credit for is how after having the two main puck movers in, in Miro and Klingberg, the third pairing really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like who it is doesn't matter. Like, for example, you have Joel Hanley. Joel Hanley and Andre Secker are playing in that role right now. They're both replacement level players. You can plug two. Like, I think that's the other lesson from the Stars, Stars run here is you can have a third pairing of two replacement level players if they know their role within the system. They, if they know they can play zero sum hockey for twelve minutes a night, then, then then you're golden. Like Joel, like Joel Hanley. If you ask anyone who Joel Hanley is before this playoff run, even if you ask people during this playoff run, I still pit pit people don't know who Joel Hanley is. <laughs> and, and but he's able to come in, plays a very simple game, but plays straight to the star system. Allow doesn't allow high danger chances and 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 fits perfectly in there and allows you take basically I, I one of the ways I compare it to is the stars are able to have for forty this is why I like when Klingberg and Hashkin and have their own pair but then get put together mm-hmm. for offensive zone face but in general I like them on their own pair until certain situations but that's why you like them you put you like in that to, okay well we get forty eight. 47 48 minutes a night of having the best puck mover on the ice and we just need that if those other 13 minutes we play zero sum hockey and that's we have an entire line that does that with the fox line yeah. then we've shortened the game for the other team and it's just frustrating well that's what the, the that's what the predators were doing when they made the cup final right it was like yannick weber and matt Irwin will play 10 to 12 minutes a night because our top two pairings are going to be out there for nearly 50 minutes and we're going to be really good in those 50 minutes and these guys are probably going to get sheltered competition against you know third and fourth lines and just please don't screw up and uh and so it's worked out that way i mean with heiskanen it's interesting that you brought up that uh you know sort of squeezing out those offensive minutes with him and klingberg because i was looking at his numbers and like the 22 points obviously stick out where he's amongst the the, the league leaders in postseason scoring and you'd think that you know, there was some sort of uh, shenanigans there in terms of like him getting some cheapies. And so last postseason, it's interesting you brought that up because, you know, when Jim Montgomery was trying to sort of create some easy offense from them during last year's postseason run, um, there was like nearly 100 minutes there at 5-on-5 where Klingberg and Heiskanen were out there together. And a large part of that was the 96 offensive zone draws. They were out there. They basically, that's the only time he would sort of stack them as this like mega line with Radulov, Ben, and Sagan and try to create some easy offense because they struggled so much to create. Otherwise, this year, they've only played 11 minutes together so far at 5 on 5. There's postseason six offensive zone draws. And I think part of that is just like Heiskanen's minutes have gone up to nearly 26 a night now in the postseason. And so if he's out there at all situations, it's really, it's a lot tougher to sort of pick and choose because he's probably going to be yeah. out there more times than not. And so in this case, they're like, we're just going to give most of the premium minutes to Klingberg to try to generate stuff here. And then Heiskanen is just going to do everything else. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's kind of, it's a fair way to use Heiskanen though, too. Cause like they are using Miro in a way where 
he is their settler basically mm-hmm. he calms the game down he brings everything when he's on the ice pretty much as as we said the numbers before good things happen for dallas and klingberg does get a bit more chaotic yes. but he makes it more fun yes. to watch um and, and the other thing too that the stars are trying to do and they haven't they haven't gotten to that success yet one of the, the big things that they want to do and they've had these conversations over and over again and i don't know if they'll ever be able to do it is they've been trying to get essel lindell to realize he can move the puck more essel lindell is someone who he's led the league in icings two of the last three years or three of the last four years or something like that and they have worked so hard and having so many of those conversations of that's a look you can take these three extra strides because no one's gonna like so and so they, they've been trying that's the other reason of all of this they're trying to get more to this spot of where essa lindell okay Essa, it's okay for you to move the puck you can take pressure off john that way as opposed to just passing and then and then moving on um it's the other thing too that's been just interesting and the reason the Heishkin and has so much success and the guy who deserves so much credit for this is Jamie Alexiak has not been a liability. Mm. Like Jamie Alexiak, I this this whole thing wouldn't have worked if Jamie Alexiak didn't have kind of the resurgence. I don't even want to call it resurgence. He's never been this good. If Jamie Alexiak hasn't had the postseason he's had, you're not able to do this as well. Then you have to mix and match more. But the fact Alexiak has been able to play well in the offensive zone the defensive zone and kind of be that player that maybe people expected him to be when he was a first round pick that has allowed this all to work so much better yeah uh yeah he's just like roving around there i've noticed in the offensive zone where he's just like behind the goal line you're like wait what what just happened there but i mean i the thing with heiskin and i think one of my favorite stats so far this postseason is in all those heavy minutes he's playing and his most common forward opponents so far are the usual suspects it's mckinnon ranton and goodrow monahan landiscog stone and carlson so the best players on yeah. the three teams he's played he hasn't taken a single penalty and yeah it's I amazing just, and, and you just watch how much ground he covers and how effortlessly he does it and how well he uses his stick it's just it's really fun to watch it's like it's uh it's the picture perfect sort of modern day defenseman in terms of what i want my number one to be able to do and he does it so smoothly and yeah it's 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 really fun to watch i mean i any any way you slice it the numbers look great for him and he deserves to be uh getting recognized for it and in that norris trophy discussion and then i think should dallas win it'll be a very very fascinating conversation between him and hudobin because you know there's certainly merits to both players yeah and he's someone too where i think this is the run where whether the stars win or lose this run to me is the reputation run he needs to win the norris Mm. just to be frank because so much the norris so much is he's not the guy he's not going to go and do the brent burns outscore everyone by 17 points or whatever by all defensemen he's not going to he's not going to win the norris that way and so to win the norris you have to have that reputation moment whether it's and for some guys it's finishing second or third and being in there for a little bit or for for miro i think it's going to be this where there's going to be people who are going to where there are going to be people where not only will he get first place votes in the future because of this run, all of a sudden he'll be when, when people who vote based just on county numbers and they go and list three defensemen next year. And then they decide, Oh, well, who's my fourth and fifth. They'll be like, Oh, I remember that Heishkinen guy was good. <laughs> like he's going to get some fourth and fifth place votes in the future because of this run as well. Like, and I'm not, I don't know whether he wins the Norris next year or the year, but he's going to win one because of the reputation he is deservedly built on this run. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's, that's exactly how uh, individual player voting works. I th- so, I mean, so far we're like 50 minutes in here and, and 
I think if someone were listening, like the, the tenor is generally very upbeat and deservedly so. This team is four wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. But uh, yes. as I think even the most sort of staunch uh, stars admirers would admit, it's certainly like far from a flawless team. And listen, like I think part of the reason why I was so hesitant, I like this team. I certainly like their underlying numbers in terms of how they play, and I thought it could generate a lot of postseason success. I mean, they were a goal away from making the Western Conference final last year. Um, is I had my kind of concerns about the coaching, and, and we've we touched on it earlier with uh, Gurianov's usage, and like sometimes it's very frustrating for someone like myself to look and see like, oh wow, Blake Como has played five more minutes than Dennis Gurianov tonight. Like that's cool. I, I love to see that, but. I was watching the uh, the the most recent uh, Quest for the Cup episode, and uh, the stars are obviously heavily featured in it. And man, Rick Bonus, like what, like what, what, a, what a character, what a guy! Like he just seems like a oh, kind of yeah. your your cheery, uh, you know, dad coaching his kids' soccer team sort of vibe, where he's just like just very proud, and he's like just letting everyone know it. And and I think Jamie Ben either yesterday or today, I think it was the 31 thoughts piece by Elliot Freeman was talking about how yeah. like he's like his favorite coach he's ever played for. And obviously part of that probably has to do with it, the fact that he's his current coach and they're having success together. But part of it is that sort of just uh, personality vibe. And I think sometimes for, for myself, I, I sort of look at um, player usage or X's and O's and you kind of get hung up on that because especially in the postseason when it is so tight, you want to sort of maximize it and make sure your best players are getting added opportunities. But there is such a sort of nebulous uh, behind the scenes component to coaching as well, where it's like such a, uh, a personality person to person driven thing as well. And, and for him to have that sort of connection with the players, like you can, you can obviously see that from the interactions and from all the quotes you're hearing as well. Yeah, and I've actually, one of the things about Rick, and I actually have a story coming on him tomorrow, so this is perfect timing to discuss all of this. I mean, he is someone who, it's not, it, part of it is his experience and how long he's been around the game, but one of the things the Stars have that I don't think any other team in the bubble had is they want to win for Rick Bonus. Mm. Like, I think they're, like, Vegas, Pete DeBoer is a good coach, but I don't think there was no emotional investment where Vegas says we want to win for Pete DeBoer. There, and I'm not saying that's the reason the, the Stars won the series, but it, it is a factor in all this. The Stars as a team, they I, I like to use the, the line I've been using kind of broken record style here is Rick Bonus has created a team where they, the cliche is they'll run through a wall for Rick Bonus, but Rick has never asked them once to run through the wall. They, they like as 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 a, as a team, they basically decided with how Rick treats us, how he handles the human interactions, the day-to-day human side of things, that makes them feel like, okay, we are going to for we're going to win this for Rick. And that's something that he's never told that's something that a coach can't create themselves on purpose. Like that's something that you have to do with actions. And one of the things, and I'll tell you this, we'll put this story in there now because my story will come out yes, tomorrow. Yeah. It's around the same time when this publishes. So back in January, the uh, for our American listeners, the uh, the, Cal- the Dallas Cow back in January it gets announced that Jimmy Johnson's going into the Football Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and they show the- in January and they and they show the clip of Troy Aikman's reaction and Troy Aikman his tears in his eyes because uh, Troy Aikman played for Jimmy Johnson the Cowboys won two three Super Bowls with him, um, and. 
the stars were in Denver at the time. It was a Sunday night. They're watching a bunch of them are watching the game, and a conversation starts up of like, okay, wow, do you see a guy tearing up because his coach is going with him? If, is there any coach that you that would that you've had would give you that type of interaction? And Matthias Yanmark of all people said, you know what? If Rick Bonus, if I, I would tear up like that because of Bones. And like that is, and, and this is, and this is something where we're talking about a guy who's a month into being the head coach. It's not like a guy who's been the head coach there for a long time or anything like that. This is January twelfth. It's been thirty-four days since Jim Montgomery's mm-hmm. been fired, and and he's got this team of guys that want to win for him. And the other thing I think Rick deserves a ton of credit for. I think that that family side and, and letting guys know he's there. I think that's been. Um, we were able to play that up in this bubble because it's even so much more important in this bubble because they don't have their other families with them. Um, but the other thing that Rick deserves a ton of credit for is he had to play, he had to keep playing Monty hockey hmm. after the coaching right. change. There was no time to reset and really change things. And in and, and bonus hockey versus Montgomery hockey, it's not that different, but it has its tweaks and he couldn't really apply those tweaks um, without a training camp, and that's what he was able to do. Like the 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 way that yes, Hashkin and Klingberg are great jumping into the rush, but Andre Sekera does not get below the goal line if Jim Montgomery is the coach. Andre Sekera is not there for that game seven assist. Jamie Alexiak is not jumping in for a breakaway if Jim Montgomery is the head coach. Joel Hanley doesn't have the green light to jump into the zone. Rick Bonus has basically. It's it's, it's easy to think, oh well, yeah, give just say everyone has the green light mid season. Well, no. You need to actually build that trust in this team is working. And so he had to pretty much run Jim Montgomery's system. He's created a system where his defensemen are willing to be more of that fourth man in. And the other thing that I think Bonus has done, and I don't know, and this is this is the great question because I don't know if this can apply to a regular season or not. The great thing that Rick does is he prepares a team to play to the other team's weakness. Mm. And so the Stars have played, they played to Calgary's weaknesses. They played to Colorado's weaknesses. They played to Vegas' weaknesses. They'll play to either Tampa or the Islanders' weaknesses. And it's it's obviously something you can do over a full series. I don't know if that would that, – that's the great question and the, that's the great question that Jim Nill and Tom Gillardi will have to discuss in their heads over is that something you can do and it, can you plan for – can you play to the opponent's weakness 82 games a year? Is that something that you can do? You can do it in the playoffs, and it's great. I don't know if you can do it every on an 82 game season. That's the that's the great question because teams that go and win and are great in the regular season, they just do their own thing and they don't give a damn what the other team does. So, can you can, does that work in the regular season? I don't know if it does, but that that's what Rick that's what Rick does. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a, yeah. it's, you know, kudos to him because I I think you'd probably find if you gave truth serum to or, or pulled most players that like they have one sort of favorite assistant coach that they love because that assistant can sort of be the player's coach, right? And doesn't have to be the hard ass that the head coach needs to be sometime and isn't necessarily responsible for ice time. And so you're not uh, quibbling with him about yeah. that. And so the fact that they love them as an assistant coach is one thing, but the fact that it's sort of carried over and had that effect while he's a head coach, considering he's had an entirely different set of responsibilities is pretty impressive because I think that leap can be uh, challenging if you don't handle it correctly. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, it's the, it's the thing where it's, it's easy to, it's easy to keep Corey Perry and it's easy to keep Corey Perry happy or Blake Como happy or whatever, when you're not the one handling their ice time, it's just, it's, it's easy. And now that he's the one making those decisions and handling the forwards on a daily basis, that's been a group that he's had to to worry to keep happy, and, and he's done a good job with that. Even even when 
even if some of the ice time decisions we still wonder and we we, we can talk and and in the same thing we, we've talked about denny enough but yes. i think there are there, there's a lesson to be learned of yes keep telling denny to take those quick shifts but Maybe Denny should get four to five more shifts than everyone else, but that's a yes. <laughs> we can yeah, I guess so, but when, you know, when you're in the Stanley Cup final, it's tough to tough to quibble with it. But yes, I will. I would love to see Dennis Garyanov play play more. I mean, that the forward usage just is is so interesting to look at because Joe Pavelski plays the most out of any forward uh, in all situations at seventeen thirty nine. Tyler Sagan's playing seventeen twenty six, and then basically no one else is playing more than sixteen minutes. It's like this, like remarkably tight gap between 12 and a half and 16 minutes for like every forward. And it's so counter to what I would usually um, like to see. Like if I were running a team, I guess it's easier if you have a Nathan McKinnon, it kind of solves that problem for you. But I do find it in the NHL top players typically aren't probably playing as much as they could or should like you like for whatever reason, we decided that this 20 minute benchmark is like, where it sort of ends and anyone that plays more than 20 minutes as a forward, you're like, Ooh, that's pretty exotic where, I mean, they're peak athletes and they probably know how to especially yeah. fast forwards to pick their spots and having them out there for 25 minutes for those extra five minutes is probably valuable. Cause if they're your best player, you're probably gonna have a better chance to yeah. score goals and win. Uh, but I guess with the stars team and the way it's composed and it speaks to the fact that we've gone an hour now without really talking about Sagan and Ben, um, You'd mm-hmm. think that, you know, if you just look at the cap sheet and how much they're making, you'd normally be like, oh, well, those are the guys that should be playing the most. And Sagan is playing the most, but at 17 and a half, that's not necessarily uh, going to kind of just, you know, mess everything up for everyone else. So it's it's really interesting to see how they've sort of managed those minutes. And you, we can quibble with whether it's the right way to, to go about it, but um, it's working so far. Yeah, and, I mean, I guess the other thing it does, and it's just... Like you take for for an example of they don't the one thing the starters don't do while you could say there's well you could say there's definitely some issues and you think maybe Ben and Sagan players making that much should be playing more the other thing you don't run into is you don't run into a situation like Vegas where Vegas playing is is paying guys on the fourth line who we talk so much about mm. to play six seven minutes a yeah. night. Like if anything, like we talk about, we the whole narrative around the Vegas Golden Knights is they're such this deep team and they attack and, and they attack in waves and they're so many and, and they're and, and they're and they use everyone. Well, the Stars are actually that team. Like you yeah. look at that series and everyone's like, oh, well, Vegas is that? No, the Stars actually use everyone equally. Vegas is way more of a traditional hierarchy when it comes to lines. Like it's and and it's 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 something where. The other thing that's just fascinating with the Stars and what this run will do for both this team and both this team going forward and especially in this league where we're talking about kind of an economic crunch too where I wonder how many teams will look at Dallas even if they lose in the final and they'll look at Dallas and look like, well, you know what? We can have a guy like Yoel Kiviranta can be on our third line and we don't have to worry about, about going to get this veteran. And yes, the Stars have the veterans, but like... The Corey Perry is not the Corey Perry he used to be. We need to remember that. Yes. <laughs> it's, oh. Well, he kind of is when he's just flying around and just oh, running yeah. into that's, the boards by that, himself. And, yeah. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, with with Sagan, it's, it's tough because he's so clearly hampered by that wrist injury where, like, it's kind of a, a miracle that he has scored two goals just because mm-hmm. he's getting no zip on that well, shot. 
He's, he's, he's clearly something's bugging him there. But then the other thing that is not defensible though for, for Tyler with the wrist is his skating looks off too. Yeah. Like it does not like his skating looks off. And I don't know whether that's a, I don't know if there's some, if it's, if I hopefully, hopefully for him in off season healing, it's just some mental grip mm-hmm. of some one body in, but like, having a bad wrist does not explain this why how how poor the skating has looked to me and that to me is actually more concerning than that i would say that his activity and sort of involvement has improved recently i'd say there were certainly stretches where i just thought like you'd forget that he was playing i'd wonder if he was even like dressed it's gotten much yeah it's gotten much better in the last three four but he got much better after game one of the vegas series like but the thing with me is like the the bend sort of turning back the clock is I mean, I think it was after Jim Light's comments, I had you on for like an emergency podcast and we were talking about Ben and NC again and sort of how much they were at fault and how much of it was sort of bad luck versus a natural decline versus, you know, them just not playing up to their capabilities. And with Ben, we had this conversation that I, you know, is, is, is such a, a deep and fascinating one, but it's like on a given night, you see the flashes of that peak fastball that he used to have but as you get older and as that mileage and that attrition especially with the playing style he had makes it so much more difficult to reach back and show that vintage performance every night and ironically enough i I think like his most memorable regular season game this year was against the lightning when he had that overtime winner i I remember that being like oh like that looked like that looked like prime jamie ben and then those moments (laughs) were very few and far between this regular season but for the past three weeks i want to say like i don't know how many games it's been but he's really gotten back to that sort of that traditional like just like he's just trucking people just playing keep away with the puck oh yeah. finishing from in tight and for me the biggest barometer of that is he's back to generating a lot of shot attempts and shots and that's something that had sort of progressively started to erode as we see with aging players where in his prime he was this shot generation generating machine while also converting at a pretty high rate because he was shooting from such close proximity, whereas now he was getting kind of pushed further and further back and the volume was decreasing and that was such a bad formula for him. I don't know what's gone on, but he's looked like you can kind of like squint now and be like, Oh, that looks like, yeah, that looks like Jamie Ben that I know from yeah five years ago. Yeah. I, I, one of the things about Jamie too, and I think we've said, we probably have said, used this line multiple times before where Jamie Ben's style is not sustainable for 82 games a year anymore. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not. But the other thing too, is we're seeing in this playoff run, Jamie Ben has no wear and tear on him going into this playoff run. Every other playoff run, Jamie's had 82 games of wear and tear where he's been, I mean, he had a full off season essentially before this playoff run to be, to, to be the prime version of himself. And I think from a star's perspective, you're hopeful that this is a, a sight into like, Oh, he's really dialed it back. This is what Jamie Ben is again. But then you also have to take it with a grain of salt where He's never going to get four months again between the last regular season game and the first playoff game to to really beef up and be healthy and and have no lingering hips or back or any other things that that that, that takes all that, that that get pounded on every single collision he's in and and now it's and, and then the other thing with Jamie too um, I was talking to Stars assistant coach John Stevens on the phone the other day and. After he gave me, after he told me I was 0 for 3 and picking against them, we were then talking about Jamie. And he said one of the things that surprised him about Jamie Ben is um, 
he Jamie Ben has looked like a player that's been there before. He said he said a lot of the times he says like I he says I expected Joe Pavelski to look like he's been here before. I've expected um I expected Corey Perry to look like he's been here before. Um but Jamie Ben to me, you look at his game and you look how he's played and you look at his mentality and he looks like he's been through this before and he knows what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. Like we talk about that great quantitative it's great to have a cup winner. It's it's the only reason Tampa even went and got signed Pat Maroon is because he won a cup. And like and and, and Stevens said like, well you look at Jamie and he do, he's found that switch that a lot of guys don't learn until they've won a cup and typically they need someone who's won a cup to teach them that and and the stars don't have that guy to teach him to that and so i don't know i don't even know how to properly quantify that but it's just an observation from the inside of like okay and maybe maybe it's 2014 olympics i don't know maybe that's what it is maybe it's that's what he's drawn back to of those are those biggest games and it's the international experience i don't i don't know and maybe and we go back to 2014 and that's when jamie was at his best and so maybe it's all tied into that i don't know what the great what the right answer is but i definitely do think whether this is an aberration or a sign of things to come it's something that I think Stars fans should really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's a sign of things to come. I mean, at this age and, yeah, yeah. and the the, tra- the track record, I'd say it's certainly. I mean, yeah, you oh, yeah. just enjoy it while it's happening. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know Pavelski, man. Like every time they've needed something, he just goes out and in oh, yeah. some different he form it. he does it. Yeah. And it's kind of that eye rolling thing where it's like that's such a a, a color commentator thing to say like oh like what a what a winner like he just makes the right plays mm-hmm. but then you actually see they need a goal or they need to you know change the the trajectory the game is on and then all of a sudden he just goes out there and he gets the puck in the right spot he scores some weird goal and you're like ah and he's done it so many times where it's clearly not a fluke like it's it's by design he's just really really good at hockey so it's uh it's been, yeah. it's been fun to watch um all right, I think I think that's enough on on the stars for now. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about them in the coming days as uh, we get into Stanley Cup Final. Sean, this was a blast, man. I'm glad we got to do this. Oh, it's good to be back. Pug um, some happy stuff. To do what, it. Uh, what do you got coming out? I know you you sort of alluded to a couple pieces that yeah. you have in the pipeline. Yeah, yeah, I got a story on Rick Bonus coming out same day this is published just kind of looking at him and just we talked a lot about that impact on the players and and what he's bent in but also peace also looks at kind of how rick took that time to kind of tweak his tweak money system during that break just to kind of give him and that's really the reason why like Rick Bonus being a good person is not the reason Jim Nill is thinking about taking their interim tag off. <laughs> it's what Rick Bonus did during that stoppage right. is why he's thinking about taking that, that tag off. Um, we got that coming. I, I do want to give a plug out to uh, one of our my, our general assignment guys, Saad Youssef, has been working on a really fun Anton Hudobin story that's coming coming sometime early next week that I think you guys, everyone should check out where he's talked to the amount of people he's talked to about Anton Hudobin's history is, is tremendous. It's going to be I've seen some of the conversations. I've seen uh, Saad's been working on it. People are going to really enjoy that one, and so I'll give Saad some love because he makes my job so much easier as someone who uh, is helping me at least ask a follow-up question mm-hmm. during Zoom Zoom press conferences because I ask one question. It's my only question, and then he'll text me saying, like, I'll follow up on that for you. So I want to give Saad some love. So Awesome. Well, <laughs> keep up the good work, Sean. This was a blast, and uh, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll check in down the road again and talk about this weird, wacky Dallas Stars team. Sounds good. Before we get out of here, I just wanted to give 
a quick shout out to those of you who took the time during the PDOcast hiatus to reach out to me and, and provide your support and check in and make sure everything was okay and tell, let me know how much you missed the show and how much you couldn't wait for it to be back. Trust me, while we were gone, uh, no one missed doing the PDOcast more than myself. It was pretty excruciating having to sit back and watch all these playoff games and, and not being able to to come on here and provide my uh, my takes and just talk about hockey for an hour or, or whatnot. Um, so hopefully today's show wasn't too rusty. Uh, it was definitely weird out of the gate coming in and just uh and presuming talking about hockey like i haven't done this show in nearly four months now it's definitely the longest i've ever gone since i started podcasting so it was a bit of weird out of the gate but i think we we worked our way into it so moving forward hopefully uh we're gonna get back to something resembling regularly regularly scheduled programming uh you know just in terms of the logistics and behind the scenes uh it made the stoppage in the season made it really difficult, uh, you know, financially to keep doing the show as we were doing it before. But I think we're working towards a longer term solution that's going to allow us to keep churning out new shows and, you know, hopefully guide us all the way through the Stanley Cup final and then what promises to be a really uh, busy, movement filled off season. So looking forward to that. And hopefully uh, you'll be hearing from me again soon and it won't be another four months. And yeah, just wanted to thank everyone for the continued support and the patience and hopefully we'll reward it with some more fun shows down the road. So until then. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.